Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean podcast. This is podcast number 23. Today, I want to talk to you about the God who sees in the dark. Now, I'm talking about God he sees in the dark, that he does not need light to see, uh, that he can see around corners, he can see through windows, uh, he can see through a chimney. Uh, God can see everything because he's omnipresent. And God knows everything because he's omniscient. So just kind of stating the obvious from Scripture, if you, if you know theology, if you're a Christian, you know that we do believe that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere, and that God's omniscient, that he knows everything, and that God's omnipotent, that is, that he has all power. power. So we do not have anything to fear, and we can pray to a God who sees everything. And it's interesting, I have been going through the book of Ezekiel some here on the Marty McLean podcast, and we are in chapter 8. And with everything that's transpired with, with the election, which was a week ago, and we still do not know uh, the final vote count, and we still don't, do not know what exactly is going to happen with the investigation into the voter fraud and irregularities, uh, but there's a lot that's going on in our nation, and probably a lot that's going to go on. And this next week is probably going to be a pretty big week, I would imagine. But I want to talk to you about the book of Ezekiel today. And if you recall in our study, Ezekiel is a priest. Uh, he was a young man in his 20s. He was taken captive in around 598 B.C. by the Babylonians. He's taken from Jerusalem, and he is led into captivity uh, to the east into the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar has defeated uh, the Jews on two occasions, 605 B.C., 598 B.C. And you have a lot of exiles that are now living in the Babylonian Empire outside of Jerusalem and Judea. They're way to, hundreds of miles to the east. And you still have Jerusalem intact back in the west, and Jerusalem is still intact. The temple is still operational. You still have Jews living and operating there in Jerusalem and in Judea, but they're under Babylonian control. And so you have these exiles living hundreds of miles away in the Babylonian captivity, in the empire of belonging to the Babylonians. And we saw that after about five years in captivity, that Ezekiel has a vision. And it's his grand vision. And God calls him to be a prophet. He's been a priest, hasn't really been able to engage in a priesthood because he's in exile. But God calls him to be a prophet. And he's going to be a prophet to the people. And God told him to do some pretty outlandish things. He had to make some things. Uh, he had to lay on his left side for X number of days. And now he's laying, lying on his right side. And Ezekiel has the elders, the Jews who are in exile, they chose elders to kind of oversee them. The elders, the leaders of the Jews in exile, they are at Ezekiel's house. And Ezekiel's lying there, and Ezekiel has another, another vision. And it's interesting, uh, we know the exact date that he had the vision because he is very explicit in the details. He says, and it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. So we know from what he says that it is in September of 592 B.C. So September 592 B.C., he has this vision. And in this vision, God takes him back to the west to Jerusalem. And when he is in Jerusalem, God lets him know, hey, I want to show you what's taking place here. Have you, he says, have you seen what's taking place? Let me read to you verse 5 of chapter 8. He says, then he said to me, son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there the, by the north gate there was 
at the north altar gate, there was an image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again, and you will see greater abominations. So he takes them there to the temple, and there is an image of jealousy. There is an idol there, and many believe it would probably be Asherah, uh, the Canaanite goddess of fertility. Uh, I think in Jeremiah's book, it may have referred to this image as the goddess of heaven. And so they were engaging in idolatry there at the temple, which, you know, you go to the Ten Commandments, and God's pretty explicit about it. You're not supposed to have any gods before me, and you're sure not supposed to make any idols, but there in the temple, they were engaging in that. But that wasn't all. He said, verse 6, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. He said in verse 7, So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. When I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations, which are, they are doing. So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he says, Ezekiel, here they are in the inner rooms. Seventy men, these are the leaders, these are the elders, those who are in authority. They're behind closed doors, and they're engaging in idolatry. And even one particular guy that really kind of blew his mind, Jezaniah, he's from a, the family of Shaphan. He, he's from a good family. He is from a family that was faithful and loyal to King Josiah, the last righteous judge, I mean the right, last righteous king of Judah. And Ezekiel's kind of amazed. They are where no one can see, and they're engaging in this idolatry. And God says, Ezekiel, they, they think I can't see them. But I want, I want to show you what they're doing. And, and by their own words, they, they say the Lord does not see. And the Lord has forsaken the land. So they think the Lord can't see them. And besides, God's forsaken the land because the Babylonians are ruling them now. So they thought that God didn't even care about them anymore. That God was no longer there. And now they're going to go into idolatry. They were going to change from their original founding of, a, of the Jewish nation. And it's interesting. They were behind closed doors doing stuff they ought not to do. And God tells Ezekiel, I see what they're doing. I see them. And then he takes them and he shows them these women. He says in verse 14, So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the house, of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and I will show you greater abominations than these. So even the, the women, they're worshiping and weeping over uh, a Sumerian god of fertility. So even the women are involved in all this. And this is systemic. This is, 
This is just kind of blowing Ezekiel's mind. Then, then he goes and, and he says between, he's between the porch and the altar, and there, there are 25 men. Now, because of the location, they're probably priests. And, and their, their backs are to the temple, and their faces are toward the east, and they're worshiping the sun. So even in religious life, the priest, we're now engaging in idolatry. And God says in verse 18, Therefore I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ear with a loud voice, I will not hear them. And then in chapter 9, he talks about how he distinguishes between the righteous and the unrighteous, that he marks out the righteous. And then chapter 10 is that chapter where the glory gets up, the glory of the Lord gets up. The glory is going to leave the temple. And he sees that. He sees the, the glory of the Lord rising up and, and, and making way out of the temple. The glory of the Lord is going to depart from the temple. You know what you call that? You call that Ichabod. The glory has departed. And then in chapter 11, he talks about how he's going to, give, he's going to judge those who gave bad political advice to the king of Judah. Now, the king of Judah was, was responsible himself because he wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, he would burn one of the scrolls that Jeremiah gave him. But God is letting Ezekiel know that he sees what goes on behind closed doors. That even though they think that, they, that God cannot see, that God sees and that God knows. And I think that's something that we need to remember in our day-to-day, -day, that God sees everything that goes on. And I know, let me just kind of come back in with some of this election stuff. I know that there's things that seem to have been done in private. There's things that have seemed to have been done with the lack of transparency. But here's what I do know. I know that God sees. I know that God knows. And at the point where God wants to rectify things, he can rectify things. Because, see, nothing gets away from God's attention. And everybody, you know, we all want justice, and so... If you want to pray during this time, here's, here's what, how I would challenge you to pray. Pray and say, God, would you make that which was done in the darkness come to the light? Would you make that which was done in secret to be shouted from the rooftops? See, in Ezekiel's vision, he even recognized people. You'll see that in chapter 11 as well. He recognized people. God knows who's where, and God knows who does what. Now, as Christians, we do believe that. I believe that, and, and I hope that you do. And I think that as you pray, and I know that you're probably still praying for our nation, praying for this, uh, this election. Do I think that the election is over? Well, until uh, uh, the election is certified and the Electoral College has voted, you technically... It's not completely decided until the Electoral College actually votes according to the Constitution, if I understand the Constitution correctly. So we need to pray that what was done in secret would be made public, that what was done in the dark would be brought to the light. And then however it pans out past that point, you, get, you know, there's nothing you can do. And really, there's nothing you can do anyway. I mean, we're, you know, don't really have that much power other than the power of prayer. So my election advice, and especially it's just, you know, I was reminded in my quiet times the past few days, been in the book of Daniel, 
And you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar as Daniel interpreted his dream and told him, Nebuchadnezzar, you're walking in pride, man. You got to quit that. God's going to bring you down if you keep walking in pride. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar continued to walk in pride, and God brought him down, and seven seasons passed upon him, and he had to basically what you can tell from Scripture. seems like he lost his mind and had a heart of an animal. And when his senses returned to him, he understood at that point that God rules in the affairs of man and that God can put one up and God can take one down. And so I know that God rules in the affairs of man, that God can put in power whoever he would like to have in power. Now, it's our responsibility to be a part of the process. It's our responsibility not to check out. And it's our responsibility to be good citizens and always pray for those who are in authority over you. And we live in a a, a republic. We, we have a representative democracy. And so we elect those who represent us and we can we can vote. We can campaign. We can do all that. Make sure you do that in a righteous way. And also in the United States of America, we, once again, we have to have a peaceful transition of power, which is very vital uh, to our security. And also a lot of other nations in the world depend upon us having a, a peaceful transfer of power. But we need to get we need to get this election thing resolved regardless. There there are too many um, opportunities for people to engage in mischief with this present system, with the mail in ballots with the drop boxes, um, with just a lot of things that went on with this election. There's got to be more transparency, and hopefully the courts will be involved, and there will be a lot more transparency, and there will be a lot more accountability in our election process. But needless to say, just remember, God is in control. God sees everything that goes on. It's like I tell my son, God sees and God knows, and when he wants, he will expose so make sure you keep your heart right. Keep loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, love God. Love your enemies. Do good to, to those who spitefully treat you, uh, mistreat you. Um, just keep living for the Lord. It's a wonderful day to be alive. I mean, it's an exciting time to be alive, okay? So don't ever give up. Don't despair. Uh, there's a lot to be encouraged about. God's on the throne. And I really believe God's doing something in our nation. And we just need to make sure we're in line where God wants us to be so we can be a part of what he's doing. All right. That's all I really wanted to say today. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Marty McLean podcast. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to seeing you next time.